It's a privilege to share God's word tonight. I want to focus on an intriguing passage in John 19.5, but I wanted to give it some context. I'll read most of the chapter of John 19. So if you could turn with me to John chapter 19, verses 1 through 16 is what we'll read. John chapter 19, verses 1 through 16. Uh, let, me, let me say a prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. And we ask that your Holy Spirit would attend your word tonight and encourage and convict hearts. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law we ought to die because... Sorry, according to that law he ought to die because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement in an Aramaic Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him. Away with him. Crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. <clears throat> First, a little context here. Who are the main people in this passage? And a little about the author. It takes place during Passover, after Jesus is arrested by the chief priests and then taken to Pontius Pilate's palace. So first we have Pontius Pilate. Pilate was the Roman governor of Judea. I think everything in the text of John and the other synoptic Gospels point to the fact that Pilate really did not want to condemn Jesus to be crucified. His wife said to him in Matthew twenty-seven nineteen, Have nothing to do with the righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. 
Over and over, it's as if Pilate's attempt is just to appease the crowd of angry Jewish leaders by having Jesus punished and then being done with it. Several times, Pilate says he finds no guilt in Jesus, which is true. But he was afraid of the crowd and not wanting another Jewish uprising in the area. He eventually caves and gives in to the pressure against his will. Next, we find the crowd, mainly composed of the chief priests and the scribes, who were angry and wanted Jesus killed, but were unable to perform execution under Roman rule, which is why they brought him to Pilate for sentencing. These religious experts of the Old Testament, and they were religious folks, and I think it would be wise for us today to at least entertain the idea that we can connect with these religious rulers. It's a fickle crowd. Just a week earlier, people were praising Jesus as he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, or save us. And here we are a week later, and the crowd's yelling, crucify him, crucify him. We have the Roman soldiers. They were the ones who flogged Jesus in John 19, verse 1, and kept him under guard. They put the crown of thorns on his head, which represents the sin of the world, of mankind. When sin entered the world in Genesis 3, with the curse, it said, Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. Jesus wore that on his head. And the purple robe representing royalty, because purple was a difficult color to come by in those days and reserved for royalty. We must mention the author John here. John is writing this gospel much later than the three synoptic gospels. John definitely has a different approach than the other gospel writers. He was the only disciple who didn't die a martyr's death, as far as we know. He was a fisherman, brother of James, one of the sons of Zebedee, sons of thunder. John was one of Jesus' favorites, the self-proclaimed disciple whom Jesus loved and was in Jesus' inner circle, Peter, James, and John. One of John's goals in writing his gospel is emphasizing the God-man. For instance, right off the bat in John 1.1, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Another extremely important passage in the book of John is John 1.14, where it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John's gospel was responsible for helping dispel heresy in the early church, that Jesus perhaps was just a specially ordained human. John makes it abundantly clear that Jesus is fully God, and fully man. He helped greatly with the doctrine of the Trinity. There are 45 crucial I am statements in the book of John said by Jesus. This is intentional because John knows that readers will know that this is the name God gives himself in Exodus to Moses. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. 
Lastly, and most importantly, we see Jesus Christ, the God-man. And we will talk more about him. I want to add, looking at verse 19, verse 5, sorry, chapter 19, verse 5, a fascinating thing for Pilate to say. He says, So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. He had no idea what he was saying. Pilate is obviously mocking the situation. There's sarcasm here. He had Jesus flogged and the soldiers put this mock crown and um, robe on him. And basically he's saying, Behold, this is the guy you're afraid of? If only Pilate knew what he was saying. Jesus Christ is and was the man. Behold, the man. The most perfect man that ever walked the planet. I want to take a minute and discuss what does it mean to be a man. I think we have a dude crisis in our society these days. We've lost what it means to be a man. We can look at this passage and look at Pilate and quickly realize what not to be. He chickened out. He gave in to the crowd and the peer pressure. He didn't follow his convictions. Being a man means following your convictions like Jesus did his entire life. Church history tells us about a man named Polycarp, who was a church leader in the second century and a Christian martyr in the early church. He was a man. Church history tells us that when he was arrested and taken to the arena, witnesses all heard a voice that came to him from heaven that said, Be strong, Polycarp. Play the man. When asked to renounce his faith and be set free or be killed by the proconsul, Polycarp said, 86 years have I, have I served him, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and my savior? He was a man of conviction. He was threatened. He would be burned if he didn't repent from his faith. And he said, You threaten me with fire? which burns for an hour and is then extinguished, but you know nothing of the fire of the coming judgment and eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. Why are you waiting? Bring on whatever you want, which was an eloquent way of saying back then, bring it on. He was a man. Men, tonight, you might be tempted right now maybe to feel a little guilt or shame like me and say to yourself, there's no way I can be a man or could ever be so brave. And I'm here to tell you tonight that that is true. Recognizing our inadequacy is half the battle of being a man because that is exactly why we need a Savior and why we must behold the man, Jesus. Polycarp had beheld the man Jesus Christ his entire life and when the time came, Christ gave him the strength to step up. I was asked by my brother to write a letter to my nephew Colton when he turned 13 a month ago. 
and give him advice in becoming a man, I want to read you a paragraph of what I wrote to him real quick. Colton, I want to encourage you that one of the most challenging questions you will ever face in this world as a man is you will ask yourself, am I enough? Or do I have what it takes? The world and movies will try to tell you that you aren't a man unless you know that you are. That's a lie. They're wrong. The truth is you aren't enough. And you don't have what it takes. And the sooner you realize that and come to realization about that in this life, that is when you know you need a Savior, Jesus Christ. For in Christ and Christ alone you are enough. And you have more than it takes. He has an amazing plan for you in your life, and he is in total control. And real men love Jesus and trust him with their lives. Now, what does Jesus show us in this passage about being the man? Behold the man. First, he was tough. It says he was flogged. I learned in studying for this passage that it turns out that most likely Jesus was flogged more than once. I never knew that. John records in verse 1 that Pilate had Jesus flogged, but Matthew and Mark talk about scourging that takes place after Pilate orders him to be crucified, which was typically the tradition back then, in order that the prisoner would die quicker upon the cross and not hang up there too long. So in verse 1, this is most likely a lighter beating, a lighter flogging that Jesus received in Pilate's hopes to have him punished and then released. But it wasn't until he later ordered him to be crucified that he was given the full scourging. We don't know how many lashings he received exactly. Jewish law prevented no more than 40. But this was under the Roman authority. They could do what they wanted to. We do know this, though. At some point after the floggings, Jesus was unrecognizable as a man. Isaiah 52, 14 says, His appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. The world views Jesus Christ as some weak religious philosopher who liked to hold and pet lambs. Religion is just the opioid of the masses, right? Weak. Wrong. Our Savior took a horrible beating. And he could have easily stopped it all, but he didn't. Jesus was tough in his obedience to God, and he was tough in his love for you and me. The second thing we see here is humility. The level of humiliation and condescension of our Savior. Behold, being mocked by these soldiers, Pilate and the crowd, our world can't mocks Jesus. I heard a Young Life speaker say once to approximately 400 non-Christian high school students at a Young Life camp, in the NFL, you get 15-yard penalty for taunting the opponent. He then asked the students, what do you get for taunting the Son of God? May you never know. <clears throat> Philippians 2, 6, 8 says, who though he was, Philippians 2, 6 through 8, 
who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. We cannot look to Jesus Christ and consider what it means to be a man without recognizing humility as one of the key characteristics. The sad part is I know a lot of arrogant Christians, starting with myself. What on earth makes us Christians leaders think we should have power or say in this world when our Savior modeled the exact opposite. He modeled an upside-down kingdom. Bring the children to me. The last shall be first. We need to raise up Christian leaders in the church to engage society and culture. Tough, humble men of conviction. Real quick story. I was in Michigan earlier this week. I had the awesome privilege to meet with four college students aged 20 to 22 who are considering ministry potentially after college. These, these guys were studs. One was a professional boxer, a Puerto Rican guy who loves Reformed theology and has a photographic memory. One's a college baseball player who most likely will get drafted by the MLB this year. Another was a stud linebacker for his college football team. Another one used to be heavy in the drug and party scene, but Jesus grabbed a hold of his life and saved him. So these four guys wanted to sit around and discuss theology. Deep stuff, not just fluff. What they were excited about in scriptures. They were talking about the Reformed faith. One of them said, hey, I got a... uh, I got a commentary for you when we talked about Reformed theology, and he sent a picture of the Bible. (laughs) I have to be honest, it was a breath of fresh air. I was so encouraged God is raising Christian men in our society who are tough, humble men of conviction. In conclusion, Jesus was more than just a man. He was fully God which is why John strategically records this statement by Pilate. If only Pilate knew what he was saying when he said, Behold the man. If only knew he was judging the judge of the universe. If only he knew he was beholding the man who created mankind. If only the crowd knew who this man truly was. If only our neighbor, our friends and family, the community of Kent, and the world knew. He is the image of the invisible God, Colossians 1.15. If only they knew. And behold the, the man who was in chapter 1 of the Bible when it says, let us make man in our image. Or behold the man that spoke to Moses out of the burning bush. Behold the man who found Hagar by a spring of water in the wilderness and comforted her. Behold the man who wrestled with Jacob. Behold the man whom Isaac saw on his throne 
and fell down and said, Woe is me! Behold the man, the commander of the Lord's army, whom Joshua met outside of Jericho with a drawn sword. Behold the man who was in the fiery furnace, comforting and untying Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Behold the man whose life was prophesied thousands of years before his birth and was born of a virgin in a manger in Bethlehem. Behold the man who healed lepers, the blind, and the paralyzed. Behold the man who calmed the storms and walked on water. Behold the man who cast out demons. Behold the man who never sinned, who cried at the death of one of his friends and then raised him back to life. Behold the man who fed thousands with a couple loaves and a couple fish. Behold the man that death could not conquer. He resurrected from the dead. Behold the man that changes lives changes families' lives and communities like Kent for thousands of generations. Behold the man who knows us, knows us intimately, every hair on our head. Behold the man who more books have ever been written about his life than any human being in human history. Behold the man, a.k.a. the cloud rider and the promised Messiah. Behold the man who will one day come again, riding on a white horse, leading the armies of heaven, and from his mouth comes a sharp double-edged sword. Behold the man whom the Bible says is the first and the last and the living one. Behold the man who is seated at the right hand of God the Father, and one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he, Jesus Christ, is Lord. Every human being, whoever walked the face of this planet in all of human history, will have to behold this man one day. And everyone will give an account in this life for how they beheld this man. What are you beholding today? May the Holy Spirit help us to behold Jesus Christ. Amen. Let me pray. God, we desire to behold you more and more in our daily lives. Raise up tough, humble men of conviction. Thank you for going to that cross for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.